0: Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that anytime you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Good morning. I'm going to be reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming from the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples and nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed.
1: Good morning, church. Special, wel- special welcome to our guests, uh, of which we have several today. We're delighted that you are with us. Welcome to the great church. We hope not only that you will encounter God today through this worship and through the preaching of the Word, but we hope that you will so encounter the Lord that you will decide that this is the place you need to be three times a week, every week plus, uh, because that's where you're going to find the greatest blessing uh, for being a part of this family that God has blessed so very much. You know, life is pretty good most of the time, and we thank God that blesses us richly in every way. And as we grow in Christ, our ability to see His hand in the events and circumstances of our daily lives only increases. In other words, our spiritual perception increases, and uh, we just grow more and more in love with God all the time. But that does not mean that life does not have its difficult days. Sometimes life has its difficult days, and sometimes it has its difficult weeks, and it has its difficult months, and it has its difficult years. And even when we individually, as God's people, find ourselves greatly blessed and happy, we look across the world, and at all times, no exceptions, at all times, there are people suffering somewhere on this planet. Not only is that the case, but There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling and suffering somewhere in our world all the time. There is no season, spring, summer, fall, winter, there is no season that doesn't bring with it its own type of potential storm that can disrupt life, that can end life, and that's a constant reality. And we weigh all of this experience of this world with uh, it's good. God leaves himself witness in every aspect of our life that he is good, that he is gracious, that he is rich and generous, and that he loves us, and the, that the promises he's made for us are trustworthy. We know that our future is secure no matter what. We know all of this. But even as we think about all of the evil in the world, all of the potential harm, misfortune, et cetera, we look back to the beginning of the Bible, and we realize that this is not the way that God intended for it to be. He intended for our lives to be all blessing, no curse, all pleasure, all privilege, no pain, no sacrifice. All of that has come into the world because of sin. The answer to these problems that we face in our lives and in our world is the Son of Man, Jesus our Lord. and He's the one we've been talking about specifically focusing on the humanity of Christ over the course of this month, and today we're going to bring this particular series to a close. We started this series by discussing the art or the science of appraisal in which a skilled appraiser will discern the value of something or another based upon a number of different factors. But we asked the question, of what value is a human being? And then specifically, of what value is a broken human being? Because if you're appraising a piece of jewelry that is in fine condition, it's going to be worth a certain amount. But if you're appraising a piece of jewelry that's broken and needs to be repaired, but that's going to have a, a, a less value. So we wonder as human beings, you know, in our, in our fallen state, broken and fallen state as sinful human beings, what is the value of a person, any person, every person? And we have found over and over again that the answer to that is jesus himself he is the price that god paid to redeem you god has answered the question of your value your value is the cost of the blood of the son of god that's how much you're worth and that is a lot and we should take courage in knowing that we looked in the second week of this series at david's psalm 8 when i consider the heavens the work of your hands what is man that you are mindful of him? And we ask the question, as, as David writes these words, we ask the question, what, what does the fact that God has set mankind over such an awesome creation, what does that say about our value? But we had to ask a question in response to all of the storms, the natural disasters, all of the difficulties of life that plague us, are, are we in fact presently reigning over creation in the sense that Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 attended for us? And the answer, of course, is no. We looked at the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 who quotes David's Psalm 8, and he says, We do not yet see Christ, who is the object of the prophecy of Psalm 8. We do not yet see everything in subject to him but we do see him. He's reigning. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he must reign until all of these things are under his feet. And he will reign until the last enemy of his is destroyed, which that chapter tells us is death itself. You see... What's the Hello, dread of a tornado welcome to the Laverne Church of Hurricane Christ podcast, and, earthquake
0: and thank you for joining
1: us. You can find us
0: at 244 Old born. Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you're an in the area, you'll we'll stop by if, and join us for if, worship. If, if our our Sunday morning fragile. worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible class classes the the fear Our Sunday from the evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7
1: p.m. Our greatest enemy, and in one sense or in the other, we might say even our only enemy in this life is death itself. And the Bible promises that through the reign of Christ, even that is going to be placed under His feet and in His control. We saw that Jesus has, through the cross and through the empty tomb, He has fulfilled all of God's expectations for humanity. And He is in the process of, of further fulfilling all of God's expectations for humanity, The only reason why the world continues to turn after the resurrection of Christ and his ascension and the establishment of the church, the only reason why the world continues to turn now for 2,000 years or so, and we don't know how long it will continue to turn yet, is because he wants to give people the opportunity to trust that he has in fact fulfilled all of God's plans. That he has in fact redeemed us from our sins and that our hope of living in a perfect world like god originally intended in genesis 1 and 2 is ours in christ every single day even though we have to live these days in this dynamic sort of tension between god's blessings and between god's wrath as expressed in the brokenness of this creation all of that has a purpose that purpose is the salvation of souls. That's God's purpose. And it makes really good sense if you understand the whole of the big picture of the Bible story. We talked about Messianic prophecy as God has revealed it all through history. And the study of history is really the study of Christ. And if you do study His story without emphasizing Him right in the middle of it, You're not doing a very good job studying history. You're certainly not hitting the high points of history if Jesus isn't right in the middle of it. We talked about the fact that there are two great historical events of the greatest that ever occurred to date. One was the fall. It has affected everything in our lives. Sin is a presence in our lives from the moment we are born until the moment we die. That's because of the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. We, their children, share in the cursed nature of this world because of that. But the second far greater event was the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of the Son of God because in so doing, he defeated the enemies of God. He made it possible that all of this curse will one day fully and finally be lifted. There is another great event to come at the end of time as we know it, which Christ comes to claim those who are his. You know, in between that first great and that second great event, God blessed the world through Israel, and he prepared the world for the coming Savior through prophecy. We've always needed a word from our God. My friends, I want you to understand today, and I think that most of you do, boy, we still need a word from God every day. We need to be reminded of his promises every day. We need to spend some time relationally with jesus our lord and our savior the love of our lives every day we are the bride of christ and we are in love with the church's husband jesus our lord and we need to spend time with him every single day because we need his help we need his continued guidance we need the encouragement that we find from interacting him in the word Proverbs 29:18, the King James Version renders the passage in this way, where there is no vision, the people perish. And church leaders have used this passage perhaps out of its context and not in the way that uh, the writer, the wise man originally intended for it to talk about uh, the, the planning uh, uh, ministry that leaders in the church do. We've got to have a vision for the future. And well, the, the application of that passage is true. If a church is moving forward in the future with no vision, with no idea, no direction as to where it's going, well... It's probably just going to go in circles. But that's not what the proverb is actually saying. Um, There are, I don't know if I put another version of that on the screen here. No, I didn't. But another version will tell you where there is no uh, revelation from God, where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish or the people run to lawlessness or so on. Different versions of the passage help us to see what the original Hebrew says. In other words, without a word from God, we're lost. Without a word from God, we perish. And so we are absolutely dependent upon God to reveal himself to us and reveal his will and his way to us, and that's what the Bible is. And I want to make sure that we all understand this morning that the whole of the Bible is prophecy. Everything from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is prophecy. Now sometimes today, because of not a complete understanding of prophecy, some people think of prophecy and they think of someone foretelling the future before that future event occurs. And that is part of prophecy. Prophecy involves two kinds of telling. It involves forth telling, F-O-R-T-H, telling, which is the vast majority of prophecy in the Bible, uh, which is just telling forth the Word of God. That is God revealing his will through the prophets and saying this is right, this is wrong. This is what I desire of you, this is what I forbid in you, and so on. This is my plan and the direction you should go and what you should be looking forward to and aiming about. And the world worldview, all that comes from forth-telling. That That is the prophets spoke forth the word of God as it was revealed to them. There is also foretelling, f-o-r-e telling, and sprinkled throughout the word of God from ancient times have been the words that God gave to prophets where they did, in fact, foretell of events that would occur later in history, long before they occurred, sometimes centuries, sometimes even thousands of years before they occurred. And uh, in in our series, we come to the passage ultimately will be uh, Daniel chapter 7, but but to lay the groundwork for that, I want to hit Daniel chapter 2 and let you know that there, this is the pa- these are the passages we've been referring to in our scripture reading all month long. And so the series, we're coming to these very important passages today. And what we have in these passages is a combination of both telling and foretelling. There is in these passages... The prophet being given knowledge of events that were to, uh, to occur in the centuries following his time, and he's given knowledge of that before they were to occur. Well, Daniel chapter 2, and many of you who are Bible readers will know from the picture there on the screen, is when Daniel has been exiled to Babylon, and he's gone through his period of training, and he's now in service to Nebuchadnezzar the king, but he's, he has maintained his faithfulness to Jehovah God of Israel. And God has sent Nebuchadnezzar a dream, a prophetic dream, a dream that consisted of a great statue being built up from the earth and its head was made of solid gold and its arms and its shoulders made of fine silver and its belly and its thighs made of bronze and its legs made of iron. And as that iron went down to the feet, he saw that the feet, the iron in the feet was mingled with clay. And as he was watching this statue in his night vision and his dream a stone was cut from a mountain without hands and it struck that statue in the feet that were iron mingled with clay and it broke it into pieces like the chaff when when uh, wheat is beaten out into the wind that dust just flies away in the wind and that stone cut without hands grew into a mountain and filled the whole earth and in Daniel 2 verse 44 When Daniel is given the interpretation of that dream, he he summarizes that interpretation by saying uh, that this, this stone cut without hands is the kingdom of God. But he said to Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, glorious emperor of a glorious empire. None again on this earth will be like it. He told him that there's going to be another empire that will follow yours historically. We know today that that was the empire of the Medes and Persians. And it wasn't as grand as Babylon, but it was stronger. As silver is not as grand as gold, but it's stronger. And the third kingdom following would be the kingdom of the Greeks, founded by the the conquering of Alexander the Great that was divided among four of his generals at his death, and And it was not as glorious in its beauty or in its newness or in its uniqueness as either Babylon or the Medes and Persians empire was, but as bronze is stronger than silver, it was a stronger reign. And then, of course, the fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire, the kingdom of iron. Iron held it together. The Pax Romana in Latin or the Roman peace was maintained at the end of Roman iron, all over the ancient world. But it took the constant wielding of that Roman iron to maintain the peace because as iron and clay do not mingle together, this forced allegiance, this forced unity of diverse peoples who did not love each other was something that could not be maintained forever, especially when that kingdom became the enemy of the king of kings and lord of lords. And it was during the reign of those kings Daniel 2.44, that the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never come to an end. But but Daniel prophesied that it would break into pieces and consume all of these kingdoms. I bring this up in Daniel chapter 2 because I want you to see that this is God giving a vision to a worldly man, the head of a worldly empire, the greatest that has ever been on this earth. All of the empires of our world ever since have been in one way or another trying to walk in the footsteps of Nebuchadnezzar and reclaim his glory, which is a sort of, a, a, of an idealistic view that we can, we can conquer the earth. We, we can, in fact, tame the elements. We can create a utopian society based solely on the efforts of mankind. I don't mean to be cheesy, but the vision does say that the stone crumbled the statue into dust. And, well, there is that famous classic rock song that tells us that all we are is dust in the wind. And uh, isn't it true that everything we build eventually crumbles to dust? It all does we ourselves even, crumble to dust. What a constant reminder that is to us, perhaps a rather unwelcome and unpleasant one. The truth is not always welcome and pleasant, but it remains to be true. And you're foolish if you do not open your ears and open your eyes to the truth, even if it's hurtful sometimes. Because if you live in a fantasy world, you can act with all wisdom with regard to all of these fantasies, but it's still only wise as a fantasy. If you're going to truly be wise, you've got to act in accordance with the world that actually is. And you've got to make decisions based upon the world that actually exists. And you need to be making decisions about the direction you're going to take in life based upon the judgment that you will actually stand and receive when Christ comes again. That is reality, and only those who live in reality can be wise enough to be prepared for that day. But Nebuchadnezzar was given that picture from the world's point of view, because the world always thinks that its accomplishments are grand and beautiful and without fault. Daniel chapter 7, on the other hand, is a parallel vision. It's the same vision in a sense. Except this one is given to Daniel and to his people, our spiritual forefathers in exiled Israel. And this gives us the same foretelling of events that were to occur politically in the future after the 6th century B.C., the 500s B.C. when Daniel received this vision, but from the vantage point of God. And we see that God doesn't look at this great kingdom as gold. He doesn't look at the one to come as silver and the one after that as bronze and he doesn't even regard the one after that as being as fine as iron. He sees them as beasts, horrid, devouring, tyrannical beasts. Let's read together Daniel chapter 7 verses 1 through 14. The prophet picks up in verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Anytime you're in apocalyptic literature like this, the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea refers to political turmoil. So he sees the world in political turmoil, and four great beasts come out from the sea. Four great beasts arise as the results of this political turmoil and each is different from the other. Verse 4, the verse was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Immediately we think of the the life of Nebuchadnezzar that we receive in the previous chapters, how uh, until God humbled him, there was no stopping his kingdom. He was the king of the beasts, the lion of all emperors. And he had wings. He flew here and there and conquered everybody in his path. And one day, Daniel 4 teaches us he was walking on uh, the roof of his palace and looking over great and glorious Babylon. I would have loved to have seen ancient Babylonia. It would have been a glorious sight. Uh, all we can reconstruct from it uh, via archaeology is pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. And he's looking across it and saying, in so many words, I rock, man. <laughs> I am the coolest cat that's ever lived. That's not exactly the way he said it, but that's the sentiment of what he said. I am great. Look at what I have done. Look at what my hands have built. And then he heard God's rebuke. He was going to spend seven periods of time having lost his mind, living like an animal. And at the end of that period, it occurred. And at the end of that period of time, he was giving his mind back. God made him stand up again, but he plucked his wings off from that point in time, Babylon's growth was done. And it was on the downhill turn. And so we see that there in in, uh, verse 4. Verse 5, And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up on one side, uh, just as the Medes and Persians were not equal members of that empire. And it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, three great kingdoms that it consumed as it rose to power. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. The Medes and the Persians spread the power of the empire well beyond what Nebuchadnezzar had achieved. And after this, verse 6, I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird, not just two wings, four wings of a bird, and dominion was given to it. We know that Alexander the Great died when he was 27 years old, I think, maybe 33, I've forgotten. I didn't check my facts on that. But he died as a young man, whatever the age is, you can fact check me on that all you want. He died as a young man, a young man who had already personally conquered the whole known world, all of Europe that he cared to get to, North Africa, Egypt, all of the Middle East, all the way to India, conquered India like a leopard with four wings. Man, did he ever move. Nobody could stand in his path, but he died young, and this leopard had four heads. Four generals took the kingdom. It became divided, but lasted for a while. We see verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. These horns stand for ten Kings or ten Roman emperors. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. This historically was a foretelling of Domitian, the 11th horn of the book of Revelation. And there were in this horn, uh, there were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Domitian was the emperor who began the imperial um, policy of persecuting Christians, of persecuting the church we were seeing this being foretold now um, 600 years or so before the event occurred historically. But, and so we have the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron. They're not great, glorious elements of a beautiful statue. They're ravenous beasts. This is what they are in the eyes of God. But the prophecy isn't finished, verse 9. Daniel says, I watched till thrones were put in place. The divine council is about to sit in judgment. And the ancient of days, referring to God the Father Himself, was seated. His garment was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. In other words, his chariot, his throne was a chariot with wheels. His throne could move this way and that, as as we read in, in the apocalyptic prophecy of Ezekiel chapter one. Verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. A thousand souls, a thousand spirits, a thousand people, a thousand beings, or a million rather, beings ministering to him. One hundred million assembled before him. And the court was seated and the books were opened. Do you see the stark contrast here? Head of gold, like that's so glorious. Chest and arms of silver, what's so great about that? Belly and thighs of bronze, not so impressive. Iron, it's just iron. If It's mingled with clay, it's useless. What is all of that compared to the throne of Almighty God? That's what the reader or the hearer of Daniel's prophecy is supposed to recognize here. Oh, brother, oh, sister, do not be impressed with this world. Do not let this world win your heart over. Do not let its lies deceive you. Do not let its glitz, its glamour, the fame it offers, the wealth it offers, do not let it woo your soul away from focusing on your God and service to Him. Because at the end, thrones will be set up and books will be opened, and all the efforts and accomplishments of mankind over all the histories of, of our world will amount only to what God considers it to amount to. His judgment will discern what is beautiful from what is ugly. His judgment will determine what is good and separate it from what is evil. His judgment will give power to those He deserves worthy of power. And those who have taken power and seized it, especially through the oppression of their fellow man, will lose it, lose themselves, lose their own souls. The passage continues... I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Rome fell because of its persecution of the church. and Every nation, even the United States of America, that sets its will against God will fall and burn. It will fall and burn. There's only one hope for life in this world and in the one to come, and that is Jesus Christ, period, no exceptions. He is the only way. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were long for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one, the one and only, that shall never be destroyed." Brothers and sisters, we find in this great passage a prophecy of the Son of Man. And it is so significant. It really ties up everything that we've been aiming at in this series so far. Because in our lives, maybe on a daily basis, certainly regularly enough, we're asking ourselves questions like, where is God? I hear people ask this question all the time because some kind of misfortune has occurred in their lives. And man, we can sympathize. We ought to sympathize, but we ought not to be surprised. Listen, brothers and sisters, we ought not to be surprised that sometimes things go badly in this life. This is a world that is in sin. This is a world that is in rebellion against God. And yet sometimes we ask, God, why did you let this happen? God, why do you let storms continue to ravage our communities? God, why do you continue to allow the streets run red with the blood that flows from violence? God, why must wars and rumors of wars continue to be spread throughout this earth? God, why do you let things roll on the way that you do? And the answer to that question is that this is the world that God gave to man to rule. That's why. And we deserve what we get. Listen, we deserve what we get. And it is not God's place, not because I limit God, but because he's limited himself. It's not God's place to just miraculously take away our free will. It's not God's place to just play the role of the spoiling grandfather and say, I'm just going to fix all of this for y'all because I know y'all don't have it in you to get it right. God is fixing everything, but he chose to do it as a man. Are you hearing? He chose to do it as a man. God's plan was that man, man will clean up man's mess to the glory of God. And I know, and this is the reason why I wanted to start this year's theme for him, why I wanted to start it with focusing on the humanity of Christ. Our language is almost exclusively in the church about the deity of Christ. We'll talk about that in February, Lord willing. But we need to recognize that Jesus is man as much as he is God. He is fully a human being. He is just as much a human as you're a human and I am a human. And Jesus is the only one who's done it right. He's the one singular perfect human being and therefore he is worthy of all of God's affection all of God's blessing he is the human being that gets to inherit all the work of God's hands that was intended for Adam and that's why scripture calls him the second Adam he is the head of a new race sanctified humanity Christian humanity saved humanity godly humanity righteous humanity all of a cause of his grace through the perfect work of Jesus on that cross that stone that rolled away, and he walked forth. Because Jesus is who he is, this man who has fulfilled all of the Father's will, the true Son of God as a human being. Because he has done this, God has given him everything, all authority, the right to rule the eternal heavenly kingdom to come, Because of this, it is the lot of every person in this world today to make a single decision that, my friends, is the only one that will ever lastingly matter in your life. And that is, will I trust, will I trust that God has solved all of this mess in the person of the Son of Man? Jesus Christ. And if you answer that question with a yes, and your actions follow suit, faithful and loyal until death, you will be saved. And you will see a glorious world like your heart has never been able to imagine. And you'll have a place in it. And you'll be able to assemble with Jesus in his court around his throne and behold his glory. And look down upon your resurrected self. And see that same glory in you. That's the plan. That you must trust. If you will be saved. If you will not trust. There's just more wrath for you. If you think tornadoes are something. Hurricanes. Volcanoes. Man, they ain't got nothing on the lake of fire. And that's the truth. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, we have the account of the transfiguration of Christ. The Bible reads, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Whoa. Talk about a word from God. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is no one but Jesus who is the answer to all of the questions of your life. The Son of Man is the solution to all of God's problems or all of this earth's problems. So I ask you the question as we bring this series to its close. Are you worth saving? Are you worth saving? You, you have the opportunity to answer that question based upon what you do with prophecy, with the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to the Son of Man. He came from the best of us, He's descended from the worst of us as well. He is one of us, the only perfect human. and He is our brother. He is our Savior, the unique Son of God. This morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that is the only thing that matters in your life, period. You need to put Christ on in baptism today. Confess his sweet name. Make the decision to turn from your sinful, selfish ways. And you can obey his commandment. In being baptized, the water is warm. The baptistry is ready. Your sins will be washed away and you will be united in covenant relationship with Jesus. Your humanity will be summed up by his humanity, which means through grace in a word, God will view you as perfect, as obedient, as fulfilling his will for your life as a human being this morning, if you are a baptized believer that for whatever reason needs the prayers of the church, the front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.